HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Chego. Every other week, we'll delve into the world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. So welcome, everyone, to the show. I'm thrilled to have Yolanda and Omo today from Hey, Dip Your Toes In. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Hey, Yolanda. Hi, we're good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I was trying to actually remember how we first like met or connected, because I know for sure like we met in London, obviously, during the um, Africa, what was it? What did I call it? The Africa Food Week London or something like that, yeah. um, where you guys hosted a content marketing workshop for us. But I was trying to think how I even first knew of you to contact you I cannot for the life of me um I guess it must have been on social media we probably were in the same network of people on social yeah media. which you guys do a good job of, and we can talk about that a bit in terms of <laughs> building audience and connect it's probably that um but I wanted to kick off with talking about you who's who are Yolanda and Omo um, I was looking at your website a little bit earlier and your about page starts with saying we are not the coolest people you'll ever meet, which I wholeheartedly disagree with. <laughs> so don't say that. <laughs> don't yeah. say that. Um, <laughs> we're not cool, right? Oh, you think we own cool now? Huh? Yeah, we can, we can embrace the label now without okay. feeling self <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I agree. So let's kick off by you telling us who you are, the cool people that you are. The cool people. Um, so it's so funny with this whole journey. It's been a, so much of like this accidental career. And I never imagined that, you know, four or five years, you know, five years ago now, almost going on five years ago that we like be at this place where they were had talking to this amazing person that we met through social media, you know, on their podcast about the work and the things we do and how we met each other. And for me, my travel journey was really inspired by my parents. I was born on the Air Force Base in Illinois, moved to Alabama, and then moved to Colorado. And therein kind of began my travel journey. My, My parents didn't really have a lot of money growing up. And we took to the roads, the road, these epic road trips across the United States. And we've got to see so much geography in the United States that I could definitely say that it became about um, saying, you know, which state have I not visited by this point? So it, yeah, it was just a really amazing journey. Um, How many states have you visited? <laughs> Honestly, I think it's just been shy of 10 states that I have not yet to oh, visit. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think I've at least visited almost every Maybe. every state outside of that, without a, without a doubt. And um, that kind of ties into my, kind of where my familial structure was. Like my, so my family was in the food business. So they owned one of the most popular barbecue restaurants in Colorado oh. at that time. Um, like as a young child, I grew up working in the restaurant business, uh, going to caterings, working events all the time and, you know, seeing what it took to run a food business. 
And so everyone, like everyone was involved in this business from my aunts, um, even my mother, even though she wasn't working full time there, she would still put in hours there. And I remember, you know, busking tables and, and just, you know, just, just loving, not busking, but busting, I guess they would say, (laughs) but um, just really like loving meeting people. And for me, it really became about this, this kind of uh, gateway to meeting people, meeting people from all, all around the world. And I just became fascinated with, you know, food cultures, like multicultural foods mm-hmm. and this whole narrative of like, you know, we can travel the world through food. And my family really kind of pushed that narrative because for, uh, I think for all of the different holidays we would have, they would cook. We'd always have, a, well, let's say, we'd always have a different theme. And so through these themes, Sometimes it would be West African. Other times it would be Creole or Cajun, or they would have, uh, you know, Caribbean food and everyone would have to take part. So you'd have to, you know, find a recipe. And that was before the days of having, you know, the internet readily available. Right. But we were in the kitchen as kids and learning how to cook these dishes and, then learning about them as well, because we'd have to share something about it when you come to you know, the big holiday and it was a big family. So yeah, it was like a really, it was a really great way of just kind of introducing me into travel. And yeah, that was kind of what got me just really kind of addicted to this idea of traveling the world. It didn't have the means at the time, mm-hmm. but I knew that the world existed and there was a big wide world to explore and food is what got me to kind of open that door. Cool. Um, and my story, my story begins in Nigeria. I was born in Nigeria. Um, I basically lived all my life, went to university in Nigeria before um, eventually getting a career move that um, took me from Nigeria to London, to the UK. Uh, where I continued my career, I still I still work in the IT risk management space, um, but I can't unlike Yolanda. I don't think I have any profound food memories other than my mother's kitchen and my mother's cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't got any profound food stories. But um, I guess the 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 real journey towards the blog from a food perspective began when we met and we started dating. Mm-hmm. Yolanda had a couple of food allergies that we eventually found out. And in, in order to, you know, just try to sort of accommodate those allergies and, and meet in the middle with our different food requirements, we began to explore cooking together and experimenting in the kitchen with different types of recipes, trying to learn how to cook gluten-free and dairy-free food. Um, at the time, you were pescatarian, right? Yes, pescatarian. Uh-huh. Yeah, which meant that I was the only one eating all the meat. <laughs> like a true Nigerian man. <laughs> you can take the man out of Nigeria, but you can't take the yeah. meat. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we found ways to meet in the middle with, with our different food requirements and preferences. And, and that began the process of sort of developing content for food. I think the, the content development phase of our relationship sort of began, the, the travel and food side of our content development began at the same time, roughly around the same mm-hmm. time, because we started traveling together and we started cooking together. And so that sort of combined to, to create enough reason for us to have a, a home for our, our content. Oh, cool. That, that's a good story. <laughs> good story. Um, so then let's, let's talk specifically about the blog. It's for those who are uh, new to Yolanda and Amo, the blog is Hey, Dip Your Toes In. I wanted to ask if it's not very obvious, like what, what led you to call your blog that? Um, let's start with that. You know, it's definitely not an obvious story. Uh, if people are always like, yeah, how, how did you come about the, you know, the, the tagline, Hey, Dip Your Toes In? But it was actually my father, and we constantly tell this story quite often. Uh, and it was quite funny. After we got married, my dad said, "You know, you guys, you should write, you should write a book." And I said, "Oh, dad, <laughs> we're not quite there yet." 
<laughs> yeah, we're, we're not quite there yet. And he says, well, what about a blog? And bear in mind, he's not a blogger or anything yeah. like that. Um, and he's honestly, he's gotten in- introduced to the world of blogging through our blog through what we do and right. so uh it, it was just really interesting to have him suggest this and so it, we really just kind of chewed on it for quite some time I would mm-hmm. say for several months and then finally December 2014 we sat down at our favorite Afro-Latin restaurant in Brixton and we said let's do this let's create a blog mm-hmm. and so you know we came up with colors and you know creating like a color palette and some of the ideas and we started creating adjectives like basically we just kind of started throwing out all these different adjectives we imagined the blog name to to in a sense to kind of mean and from those adjectives we then derived this idea of kind of dipping our toes into the the sights and sounds and flavors of life and sometimes you have to dip your toes in before you can kind of jump all the way in right we said that's what we want that's what we want our our kind of our motto to be because right. we're also quite different from each other one of us might like to kind of tread a bit more uh, with a bit more ca- a bit more caution which is quite wise <laughs> and, uh, and the other person tends to like to kind of like dive head in first and so we found a way to meet in the middle which is what really does kind of symbolize our relationship I would say trying to meet in the middle a lot yeah. so hey dip your toes then is what came about and and just to add to that we also didn't want a name that would that would box us into a corner so we didn't want something like travel with Omar and Yolanda right yeah because yeah. We, we figured out that at some point we might want to evolve and do other things with, with with the blog so we wanted to keep it general which you know and that that theme of encouraging ourselves first of all and then people who follow us to try new experiences and to you know go beyond the obvious is what dip your toes in really stands for yeah oh i think it's really smart and really uh really clever and the fact that you took the time to you know you it sounds like you almost went through a systematic process to to think about the name and what it would mean not only in the short term right but in the long term as you evolve as a as a brand or a blog um, and Yolanda sort of touched on this a little bit, but I'm wondering what your specific roles are as a team as you work together on, on the blog um, and how it's been working together as a couple, actually, because um, you guys know that I'm married and while I love my husband to death, <laughs> I would do anything for yeah. him. Um, I don't know that I could work this closely with one of long term <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get that question a lot about you know, how do you guys work together without shooting each other. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess we've just been very fortunate. We, first of all, we met online, um, and I guess we, as soon as we we met in person, we knew we had a connection, and that connection has stayed with us throughout our time together as as in our relationship, and then as a married couple, and that's something that we try to preserve. Um, but in terms of our, our actual roles, we, we, we've gravitated naturally towards the things that we're really good at. Mm-hmm. So Anna is, is really good with design, with photography. She has an eye for, for imagery and for color and for detail. So she, she manages the visual side of the blog, um, the look and the feel, uh, the, the coloring, the palettes, you know. Yeah, which we, is really great, by the way. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, Yarn. All the all the look all the social media looks as well. She she manages that and makes sure that the brand is the brand look is right and and projects our character and personality. Um, and but you also run Yolanda also runs the I guess the business development side of the blog as well. So you know creating those new relationships with PR organizations and contacts. Um, finding networking opportunities for us and speaking opportunities. You know, she she runs all of that. Um, I'm I'm a bit more in the background because um, I have you know different career that I, I manage as well. But when it comes to the the, the copywriting um, and I guess some of the social media management, especially on the Twitter side, mm. I, I I do that. That's sort of my my natural forte. 
naturally that's how we sort of split the okay interesting so when we're chatting on twitter with you it's mostly you yeah it's mostly me you know when yolanda has to say something i'm like hey yolanda come and say like there's always so much going on on twitter and i didn't really i didn't naturally let's just say i didn't naturally kind of acclimatize to the platform until i would say in the within the last year like this year like it's now the thing that i might check first thing like i might check it much sooner before i check instagram or facebook right it'll be the first thing i check you know for updates and it's kind of the heartbeat of what's going on you know in right the world. so i, I go there first yeah, and I think I think I probably had the same um, experience, uh, Yolanda, in that there was a sort of learning curve with Twitter. Like I didn't, I don't think I truly understood how to use it. So I would sort of <laughs> to use your phrase, dip in and out. Yes. Um, but over the last, I think, couple of years, I think especially with my, my with my husband being a lot more active there, I sort of got into Twitter, and, and it's again like you. It's now the one of the first things I check. Um, at the beginning of the day. So um, good stuff. Okay, so since Yolanda does business development stuff, I wanted to speak about how you how you work with clients. How do you find clients? And in the early stages of the blog, like who was your first big, um, and maybe food customer, I should say. Like how did you approach them? And then how do you think about designing what a campaign should look like? Yeah, absolutely. Our first big client was... I, it was actually IBM, which is a, oh. a food client because they had a product called IBM Chef Watson, which was oh, this, interesting. Yeah, so it was actually very fascinating because it was a cognitive cooking platform where you put in your ingredients into the web application, like any kind of ingredient. You put in one ingredient, say beetroot, yeah, and then it comes up with all these amazing recipes that you can use to cook and create a great meal. So, and you can even start to narrow it down to, oh, I want beetroot, but I want it to be a main dish or I want it to have rosemary or want it, you know, all these different little kind of add-on filter uh, settings that you can put yeah. in the application. Yeah. So we were approached by them uh, and because we'd, we'd never heard of the platform before. Of course, right. we were familiar with IBM, but they approached us and this is back in 2016 and we immediately jumped on a call with him the following day and we're extremely excited because we realized that this was going to be our first you know paying mm-hmm. client and it was um for quite you know quite a sizable contract at that time and so we're looking at you know the different uh I guess their deliverables, they had ideas of what they wanted us to do okay and what we did was instead of just kind of, you know, hearing what they had to say, which was, we took in mind everything they had to say. We, we did some research on the brand, which is now very much the cornerstone for how we work with brands. You know, we start off with a lot of research, you know, their presence on social media, figuring out their client base and their, their demographics that they're trying to market to, like who is, who's the user or consumer of their product or service, so on and so forth. And, you know, once we, you know, compile that data, then we start creating a proposal. And it, we, you know, we've never done this before with any other, um, any other brands, like even if it was just for like kind of an exchange by exchange product, but we knew that we wanted this first project to go really successfully. So we created, I believe it was like a 12 page like proposal to the brand. And we had, you know, introduction and we go into this about what we can do for them and why we're a great fit. And then we start talking about the projects and the type of, um, the type of content we can deliver and the approach that we're going to take, which was really important. And then we move into the packages. So we show them three different packages that they can decide to opt into. And they ended up choosing the highest package, oh, you know, wow. which it, you know, video content and photos and lots of social media content across all platforms and uh, blog posts and so on and so forth. So, you know, then we end the proposal with, say, a um, 
like some case studies. So we show them how we've worked with other brands and the, the results of those particular campaigns. And then just like a contact page, you know, contacts for, for right. their information. And that literally has become the foundation of how we work with brands. We've, we end up, we've ended up now speaking on the topic, you know, multiple times at mm-hmm. industry events, so on and so forth. And then we also do coaching. We'll coach other, you know, creative entrepreneurs or those that want to do what we do, um, you know, on this system. So yeah, from the business development side, that is how we got into working with brands. We didn't approach them, but we've also used the same method to approach brands as well, because it can work from the other side. You don't have to wait to be approached. We definitely believe in creating opportunities and not waiting around for brands to contact you, like create opportunities, create your own campaigns with brands that you want to work with. And for us, it's worked out really well. No, that's incredible. And uh, I mean, I, I'm just wondering what at the time or, or the point in your business or, you know, let's call it that, the point in your business, what do you think attracted them to you? How did they find you? What were you doing at the time? Do you think that um, made you an attractive um, target, I guess, versus, you know, a standard agency, for example? Absolutely. So what's interesting about this space now is that it's very much about agencies contacting creators. So it was the agency for that particular company that contacted us. Yeah. So there are these create, and, and that's how it's really working these days is that creative agencies will find creators to then create content for, you know, the brand that they represent, that they, that the brands that have contracted them. So the only thing about that is that you end up creating all of this content and then it has to go through all of these. <laughs> right. <laughs> what could have just been a simple email and say, Hey, does this, you know, can you approve this? Does this look great? You know, it might end up taking three, five days a week, you know, to get approved because so-and-so wasn't in the office right. or, you know, there needs to be a meeting with, you know, all three department heads to approve a simple photo and, you know, a few paragraphs of copy. And so, yeah, there are some drawbacks, you know, to working with uh, creative agencies because it, the right. lead, lead time is, is quite intensive. But in terms of them being, or I guess finding us, we did ask, and they said that they did a search on top um, food uh, what did they, they didn't use the, they didn't use the term influencers. They would use the term bloggers in 2016 then. And so they said they did a search on top UK food bloggers and we came up. And I think the reason why we came up is because we've gotten that award mm-hmm. that year for um, best food blog in the UK through the UK blog awards. Oh yeah, that's right. Do you want to talk about that? Um, that experience? Yeah, this was, this was probably one of the most surprising things that happened <laughs> in the early part of our career yeah. as bloggers. So we started, we, like Yolanda said, we started the blog in 2015. And by the end of that year, 2015, we, we heard of the UK Blog Awards, um, which was an organization at the time that was sort of opening that space for blogger brand relationships. And, and so we, they had this award uh, ceremony that where you would, you would, you would be not, you would, put yourself in and apply in a specific category uh, and then eventually be shortlisted for a final selection by a panel of judges. So we thought, well, we, we're just starting out, but let's see where this goes. So we, we put ourselves forward and you know, we made it to the finals and on the, at the award ceremony, we, we won. And yeah. <laughs> that was so shocked. Yeah, that was a shock, a ple- very pleasant surprise. Um, but it, it meant that we were doing a couple of things right. It meant that, first of all, our, our branding was right. It meant that our, our messaging was going in the right direction as well. And it also meant that we were starting to build the right networks and relationships that got us noticed. So that just was a confirmation that we were doing something right. And I think at the time that was, again, when the influencer slash content marketing space was starting to become a bit more defined. Okay. Even though now um, 
you know, there's there's a lot of talk about nano influencers and micro. <laughs> All the other, yeah, all the other various uh, <laughs> of influencers. At the time, it was it was very strange to brands to you know look look at bloggers or content creators as a viable part of their marketing strategies. Um, and I think that when we won that award, and that got us noticed by companies like IBM, right. it was a good convergence of time being in the right place yeah. at the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it was after that time, we just we started getting asked to audition for, t- for like British food television shows. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it, was just, it was just really bizarre. We, we ended up doing one appearance on, a, on the show for Jamie Oliver. Oh, was- I ha- what was that like? I don't think I knew that. Um, that was a Channel 4 production, wasn't it? Yeah, Channel 4. It was um, Jamie and Jimmy's Friday Night Wait, yeah. Friday Night Feast. Yeah, Jimmy and Jimmy's Friday Night Feast. And so did you have to cook or were you, what was the... No, we didn't have to cook. We just had to try lots of foods. <laughs> <laughs> we had to watch Jamie cook. Yeah, and... watch Jamie cook. Oh, <laughs> interesting. And then talk, talk about the food and how it tasted and stuff like that. Yeah. I see. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, I think this is a good time to take uh, a break. And then... Yeah. When we come back, I want to delve specifically into the idea, or I guess I want us to define more what content marketing is for food businesses um, and then how they can take advantage of, you know, doing that to sort of help move their businesses forward. Um, If we have time, I'd also like to talk about building an audience, which sounds like you guys did that um, really well from the start. Um, and then we'll get into some fun questions towards the end. So uh, we'll take a break now and then we'll come back to talk about content marketing. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. We'll be right back. We're talking about content marketing now. Um, and I know you've shared this with me before because I've sat in a workshop with you, <laughs> but I want you to define it for our listeners, especially food business owners, because we want to now talk about how they can use that to push, you know, to help grow their businesses, right? So what is content marketing? How would you distinguish that from other types of marketing, for example? Okay, well, um, content marketing, I, I, I just, just to sort of summarize in at a very high level, is, is, is brands finding creative ways, leveraging social media to tell their story, to engage with their customer base um, using different types of content. And by content, we're talking about written copy, talking about uh, blogs, we're talking about videos, we're talking about imagery, gifts. gifts, podcasts, all of that is content. Anything that helps the brand tell their story, anything that helps the brand to engage with their, cost, their target customer base using social media or using, um, yeah, using social media channels yeah. is basically content marketing. Now, think of content marketing as one part of a, a larger marketing strategy. So, you know, the bigger brands would typically have a budget for things like TV adverts, like radio, oh, right. you know, newspaper, copy and print and adverts in, news, in magazines. Um, but increasingly, of course, brands are moving to digital space and realizing that there is a lot more activity and traction for their brands in the digital space. You know, um, there, there are lots of stats out there about how much, how, how much um, content is viewed on mobile these days versus... Right. Um, you know, regular TVs, regular mm-hmm. laptops. Um, there's also the talk about print media starting to suffer, you know, a decline mm-hmm. in, you know, when you compare that with digital. And there's so many indications that the world is moving towards the di- digital space. You know, the penetration of smartphones, for example, globally right. is a lot bigger than it used to be, what, five, even five years ago. So content is king, pretty much. And for brands to um, be able to reach the audience that has now moved online, they need to have the content marketing strategy. And they could do that either by having their own in-house teams developing that content. They could hire agencies to do that work for them. But increasingly, they're starting to turn to the influencer community. And that community 
is is a bit ambiguous right now because you okay. know you have <laughs> you have a couple of people who do not regard themselves as influencers but actually are influencers uh, people who want to be influencers but are not quite there yet but yeah <laughs> anyway bottom line is people like you and I who have engaged following um, engaged communities that we talk to on social media um, could step into that influencer space and become the content creators for these brands to help them reach some communities or demographics they may not be able to reach through traditional uh, advertising or marketing techniques. Yeah, and that's interesting because, you know, you talk about um, the, the explosion of digital. Um, you just have more eyeballs everywhere on social, you know, etc. And there's just content everywhere too, right? Like I, I can't even keep, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I can't keep up anymore. Like someone sends you videos on WhatsApp and videos and text and, you know, it's just, there's so much content, right? And so how are you as a, or as a food business or even from your perspective as a content marketer, how, how, like what sort of, um, advice would you give in terms of thinking about quality content right because now I find I, I see online especially people are just pushing anything in as much as possible just to get noticed right so how do you balance that um pushing out stuff versus the qu quantity versus quality I guess is what is the bottom line how do you balance that and trying to get more eyeballs that will eventually convert to, to sales for your business no, that's a great question. We end up using this, I guess, process. I mean, I guess it's, it's a process that we've created over the years. We call it our creative idea, idea cycle. Mm. And when it comes to creating, we think, you know, it needs to be broken down. And so you always have the idea, you know, this idea that you're thinking, well, that, that, that is just, that would be great. You know, but oftentimes what happens is that we create these ideas and somewhere along the line, they tend to kind of fall flat. And so I like to think about that this idea needs to, like needs to, we need to birth life into this idea. So the balloon needs to fill, but fill or, you know, fill up mm -hmm. by the end of the cycle. And then you can let the air out and then you just keep doing it over and over and over again. And it becomes the cycle. And that's why we call it the creative idea cycle. And we start off with the idea and then we end up crowdsourcing and the ideas so we get other ideas. So we might end up sending a, like a, a survey out to oh, the form of like a Twitter question or just to get some feedback from our community. It might go Instagram, well. Instagram is just going to say yeah. on Instagram stories or static Instagram posts. We've also done it. We were so funny enough. We were looking at, some memories that popped up on Facebook. We used to do it a lot on Facebook, um, you know, a few years back because we had a really engaged, uh, not, you know, following on Facebook, but we, we've kind of shifted that, you know, over the years just to kind of respond to, you know, market presence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after that, then you're looking at thinking about developing the idea and where you need to push the idea. Like, do you need to, um, push this through, you know, PR um, presence or through like a, so maybe this is something that if you were to pitch to a creative agency, that the idea can then really have some legs or do you need to self-publish and it's going to go out on your own platforms. So you have to identify those things, those areas and then choose where, where and how and when you're going to push that out. But at some point in time, the idea, quote unquote, whether it's content um, typically it's content driven. It needs to be pushed out. So once you choose between those platforms or uh, areas, then you push the content out. And after that, it's been pushed, but then you need to also get data around that. So you're thinking about as you push content, you're trying to engage, you're trying to create conversations. You're also trying to think at that time, like how does this then cycle into other content mm. that I create? that then I can multi-purpose or re repurpose later on. And which we find is really important for us. It's really important that content doesn't just have one life, you know, like one life to live. It just, it, it, it shouldn't just go out there and then it's just there. Right. So really great content is, is content that is reused, is repurposed, it's quoted, it's, recycled in ways and it serves to help your audience or to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's important for us that, you know, the, the content continues to live on. So we really do try to find ways to, to integrate that into our approach, because if it doesn't, if we, if we find that, you know what, we think this is going to fall flat and it doesn't really have any life beyond this one kind of big splash, right. it's really not worth our time right. and investing in it. And to give you a great example of that is a post that Omo wrote on the blog years ago. This was back in 2015 that he wrote this post. And now 2019, it was just picked up by Lonely Planet. Oh, wow. And then published in their magazine as well last um, last month. So, you know, things like that, we we could never have anticipated that that, that particular right. <laughs> would pick up the story, but we knew that the story would be repurposed at a later time. So, you know, we always keep those things in mind. Right. And so I, I, I think of um, the process you just described and how, how time consuming that must, must be, right? Because we also do it well, you have to put in that that thought process, if you will. And I think about one a food business owner that maybe doesn't, one doesn't have the time or perhaps may not have a big enough budget to um, reach out to an agency, et cetera. Um, what, and maybe this is well, I'll tap into the top three, I guess your top three tips for food businesses, particularly small um African food businesses, we tend to be smaller, right? Um, whether it's at home or, or um, at home on the continent or in the diaspora. So I don't know, what, what, sort of, what are the tips you can give them in terms of thinking about how to reach their target audience, I guess, within the limits or constraints that they have of time and, and budget? Yeah, you know, that's a really difficult one. I think for food entrepreneurs have to really think about early on outsourcing and and investing into a bit of, um, a bit of help. So there's like, for instance, there's an app that we're going to be looking at, um, investing into, I guess you could say investing into, it just means that it's something that we have another fee that we have to pay, but it'd be a great way to tap into some more assistance and what it does is that it provides you with an intern for three months, for a three-month period, and then you can go into the next three months having someone. So let's say over the year, you can have four people that have oh. interned with you, but they all are very highly qualified. Mm. So they've had to take you know trainings and like Facebook ads and Instagram ads and you know, so many different types of qualifications. Right. And so you're able to search on the app. So the app is called Gen, Gen N, like generational, gener- oh, right, got generation it. millennial. But Gen, on Gen M, you can find all of these different uh, people that want, you know, they want experience and they want experience as interns. And they're not just, you know, just super young people that are not serious about what they're doing. These are, you know, serious students. These are post-grad students in some cases, and they're looking for work experience in the industry, in within marketing. So you, you have to use them for marketing purposes, which is, you know, the main, right. main condition of going through the service. So things like that, we've, we've also hired people to do things like Pinterest. So to increase our traffic to our website and, you know, like things like that, I think are really important as a food entrepreneur is that you want to be able to spend time doing things that you're really great at. Right. And, and, and as you say that, actually, I, I, it just reminded me of of like my own self (laughs) and just before how I was balancing, you know, a full-time job and trying to do so many different things with, with um, both Essence 13 and, and the podcast. And ironically, now that I have more time on my hands, I'm actually looking for more help. And so I, for example, outsource the editing of the podcast. And I'm finding that now it's given me more time to think about how I engage an audience versus, you know, spending my time because it takes probably on average six to eight hours to edit like one hour of a podcast interview. And so one, I found I wasn't enjoying it. And then it was just such a time suck. 
And so yeah. to your point, yeah, just finding, going to places like Fiverr or Gen M sounds like a great program also to find people that, you know, are quite like the person that edited the first um, interview for me last week, he turned it around like very quickly. He's a he's had years and years of audio engineering, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, great. Like, I don't have to focus on that. Now I can focus on who's my target audience. Who do I want to listen to yeah. this? Like, you know, get to them versus spending a whole day like <laughs> trying to figure out how to remove ends and us. <laughs> exactly. I think that's a very that's a very good good point that that you know you've just expanded on is the fact that there are people out there who are specialists at doing certain things, right? Right. And if there are variables, if platforms like Genem or Fiverr or Freelance or whatever are available in the country where you are, I think as a small food entrepreneur or business, it's it's worth looking into to see if you can outsource some of those more technical side of, you know, either editing or content creation to, to these people. However, um, it's also important as a small business uh, entrepreneur in the food space to not discount the power of your own personal story. Yeah. I think that, you know, every food business has started from somewhere whether it's, you know, how you got into, like like we shared earlier on, how we started like, developing content was because we were trying to meet in the middle with knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's a story. And that story is is one that in itself is, is ready to be turned into different types of content. So, you know, food entrepreneurs can talk about, they, they can show Instagram stories or write blogs or, you know, update their audience through Twitter about, you know, their process of setting up a new restaurant or, or going to the markets and why they're choosing certain ingredients and, you know, why they cater to certain types of, of, of audiences over others. But there are different stories in there that can come out through um, the different channels that they use. And so definitely leverage the power of your own story mm-hmm. to create content and to reach audiences. But also another thing to, to remember or to, to, to think about is how to crowdsource content from your customers um, so people buy your product or people come to your restaurant people you know use 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 your service as a caterer or whatever get some feedback from them ask them you know what they liked most about your service about your product about your food get them to to share those stories mm-hmm. with you either online or through digital channels and get those you know crowdsource those things and use them on your own platform to, to create content for your channels so that that's a way of you know again outsourcing in a way the right. content process, but this time to your customers. Obviously, we're hoping that you know small business people are pleasing their customers, and so the feedback they're getting is mostly positive. Hopefully, yeah. get, get yeah. that positive feedback and turn it into content. But you have to ask for it first because customers will not necessarily give feedback except except they've been you know um, they, they've been wowed and they've been blown yeah. away. But you know, even when you haven't blown them away, ask for feedback and turn it into positive, into content. So those are ways to generate content. I guess you can either outsource, you can crowdsource, or you can, you know, tell your own story of your process or your journey. That's a good. That's a good point. Outsource, crowdsource, tell your story. It's like a good tagline. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Just one last thing on that is that you can also encourage user-generated content. So finding ways for your audience to create, to use your ideas, your own unique ideas, to create their own content and encouraging them to share them using one of your unique hashtags. And that can then fuel more content to your platform because you end up sharing it or you, you slide into their DMs and ask them if you have permission to share it. And that's also a really great way to, you know, also kind of, kind of pad your social media presence, right. and take the pressure off of yourself of having to always create content, especially if you have a limited budget. Okay. And uh, similar, I guess, or related question, if you have maybe one or two more thoughts on that, specifically on building an audience, right? So I think we're focusing on the types of content you can create, um, but then how do you sort of build that audience that's in speaking to um, a lot of food food entrepreneurs, food businesses who who are recently um, on social or online, they're finding a hard time of building an engaged audience, right? And so they're like, okay, I'm spending time that I could be 
doing, you know, working on my actual business, you know, creating Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I'm trying to um, put out content, but I'm one, I'm not growing my audience or two, even if it's growing, they're not engaged. Like they're not answering my <laughs> polls or whatever. <laughs> so I don't know if you have maybe one or two more tips around that specifically that um, could be helpful. Yeah. You have to find your, I always say like, start building that like 1000, that group of 1000 people that are kind of your ride or die followers. Right. Regardless of what you put out, like they're always going to be hooked. They're going to engage. And honestly, it's going to take a lot more people go or going through a lot more people to get that 1000 that right. are constantly engaged. The thing is, is that if your audience isn't engaged, it's not, it's not because there's something wrong with them. It actually means there's just, there's a disconnect there. Right. In what you what you're sharing or how you're engaging. Sometimes what happens is that through social media, we think it's that, especially with all these different varying platforms that we get really lost in the journey. And we think, Oh, I can just go and share, you know, I can publish something on Instagram and share that then on Twitter and then also share that on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it doesn't work that doesn't way. Work that way. You have to create unique content, you know, for these different platforms to reach different demographics because Mm -hmm. each person is using these platforms for a different reason. Right. Has a completely different way of, you know, engaging, communicating with one another. You can't just stop in, drop some content and then peace out. Like, you know, you really need to stay on board, join these, join Twitter chats. It's a, there's so many food focused Twitter chats where you can share great photos and engage with people like it's about engagement engagement and also we found that find a way to start connecting people with other people amplify other voices mm. people will will start to trust you and they'll want to know like oh what are they doing what's so-and-so's kitchen doing like they're the ones that put me on to so-and-so or they recommended me for this or they recommended me for that even if it's outside of your quote-unquote niche community I think we have to start thinking that it's not just the audience that's under the umbrella. Okay. Like the, under the umbrella brand underneath that umbrella, there are actually other umbrellas funny enough. And those are all micro communities and pinpoint your ideal audience. Sometimes your ideal audience are not just people that just love to eat your food. (laughs) They might be people that are into, you know, some really niche interest interests like, Oh, my ideal, you know, maybe one of that, one of their ideal clients is someone who loves, you know, interior design and then, you know, loves, um, books about art and, um, loves following, you know, John Basquiat or something. And most recently attended a local exhibition in Paris or something. Right. But really you do have to get that specific in your targeting. And when you start to create content for those target like customers and you start to engage with them with such ease because you know who they are right? and what they want to see and what they want to engage with. And it actually becomes a lot easier and trying to just create everything for everybody. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, coming back to that point she said about your, your, your ride or die audience, that customer profile is so important to get mm. right. You can't, you can't be everything to everybody. Yeah, as a yeah. You have to be everything to somebody. And it's those people who you are everything mm-hmm. to that you need to find. Find them through, um, you know, engaging, going go to the communities where they, 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 they tend yeah, to come yeah. You know, whether it's online or offline, go 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 where they are and put yourself forward as somebody who who cares about them first of all, mm-hmm. um, who's ready to share information before you are the one who sells to them. So you know, for us, we don't just think about promoting all the time. We think about how we can inspire people, how we can encourage, how we can inform, how we can educate, right. how we can entertain. Yeah, and then in that in, in creating those conversations, we then can promote and sell. So it's it, it, it's a journey, and it's not going to happen overnight. But once you get that ride or die audience, they become your brand advocates. Right. They're the ones who help you amplify your message. 
Um, it comes back again to that whole point we said about outsourcing. If as a small business owner, you haven't got the time or the skills to do this, find someone who can give them the guidelines, tell them your vision and, and you know, just trust them to help you build that audience mm-hmm. on your behalf. But it's important to do it. Um, right. And and I will, I will echo that in saying that just from my experience in the last couple of weeks, like, it, it may seem like a cost that you don't want to, or something that you don't want to invest in or that you can't afford. But that peace of mind, I mean, the, you know, I, this payment that I made to this person gave me one peace of mind, which <laughs> you can't, you can't actually put a price on. And then two, it just opened up time. Like that's a whole day that I could spend like thinking about other ways I could engage versus just a quick example like so yeah. as a food business you're developing recipes all the time right. right the good way to engage your audience is to take them on that journey you know ask them questions hey guys i'm thinking about combining this with this what do you think would you combine this with this ingredient why not you know get them talking right. about about this 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 idea you have it comes back to Yolanda's point about the creative idea cycle you have the idea put it out there in your in your in your community get them to start talking about it and that way you are engaging them they are engaging with each other and you are getting useful insights that you can then pull from and use to develop your recipe so that's an example of how you know content creation can work but also bringing in engagement as well yeah, no, that's all good points. And I think uh, sort of just to wrap it up um, and to tie into, I guess both of you mentioned this, this idea of figuring out that core target market, target audience, ride or die. Um, I've also been experiencing that in, in my own work with both with Essence 13 and the podcast in that when I started, I thought I was more targeting um Africans in general, right? But I found in my engagement, especially after participating in a podcast festival um, this summer, that my target market actually, like if I'm doing some more work and focusing, it's actually beyond first and second gen Africans in the diaspora. They're looking for ways to connect to their culture, which first of all, has nothing, initially you would think had nothing to do with food. But as I'm getting feedback, it's like that food opens the door to a lot more, you know, about their culture, where they're from, that they don't have um, as much access to as they would like. And so I'm refining that and thinking about how I reach those markets. And so um, sometimes who you think your market, your target market is may actually not be that core. They may be, you know, as part of the under the wider umbrella, like you understand. But in terms of that core market, um, it may take some time to refine and may not be as obvious in the beginning. Um, cool. So now I want to talk about the two of you a little bit in terms of, we've talked about food. I want to talk about food now in the context of your travels. Um, when you travel, do you, how much do you think about food as part of the experience? Um, and I don't know if you have any stories to share about food experiences in any way you've traveled, good or bad. <laughs> yeah, so many. There's a one in, I think, how do we want to start this story? Is in the one in Turkey. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, it's a really great story. So but the first part of your question was, how much does food factor into our travels? Right. Fact is, the answer is a lot. Um, <laughs> we will choose destinations based on what we want to, you know, what we expect to see from the food culture there. You know, we know that, for example, you know, places like in the Mediterranean, we love the Mediterranean diet. So we will, you know, immediately choose places like Cyprus or Turkey or, you know, Morocco, because we want to, you know, sample the food culture there, which is always so vibrant. So yeah, food is always a big part of our travels. Plus, food gives us an opportunity to tell some really good stories and create some really, you know, solid content from our trips as well and this story was uh, one that happened a couple of months ago we went to turkey for to work with a client um, but before we hooked up with the clients we had a couple of days to ourselves to to do our own thing so on the first night when we arrived we had checked on google maps to see what restaurants were in the area for us to, to go have dinner and we found that we, we chose one of the places that was close by the hotel and we you know made our way there so we got to this address and it turned out that the restaurant had shut down. It was no longer there. 
So, you know, looking at our phones and thinking about what next to do, as we were walking away, there was an old man who called out to us um, just to, you know, find out what we were looking for. So we pointed to the restaurant and he said, oh, you know, in his broken English, <laughs> the restaurant was closed. It was no longer uh, open. So we said, thank you. And as we were walking away, he started calling out, calling out to us again, saying, you know, food, food. You want to eat? You want to eat? So, you know, we thought it was uh, the beginnings of a scam. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the, that was the Nigerian. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Something was about to go down. But it turned out that, you know, he, he, he actually asked what we wanted to eat. We indulged him and listed a few things. And he said, oh, no problem. You know, my wife, and he pointed to an old woman in front of him, you know, she, she's a good cook. She's a good cook. They had brought out chairs, they had cleaned. Wow. You know, he yeah. went up on his motorbike to the supermarket or wherever and you know, bought, bought a few ingredients. His wife went up into the kitchen and you know, within about an hour we had a, a full, less than an hour less than actually. An hour, yeah. we had a full meal. Like yeah. a big fish and potatoes and <laughs> all kinds of different messes and yeah, it was it was wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's insane! Like, I need to. I'm. Sh- I you, sh- you must have shared this online. I need to find that and and share with folks that are listening so they can see what that yeah. spread yeah, is. It's on our Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! But the Turkish people, though, are very hospitable. I I found like in my travels in Turkey too. That's amazing, and that's like again like the I guess it ties into the food and, and, and travel story but how food is such a connector of people right and oh it is it really is that's that's an amazing story and speaking of Turkey I guess we can speak we can now sort of wrap up with what's next for for the both of you you have a retreat coming up in Turkey next year actually yeah yes. yeah we're right now we're just in preliminary uh, plans to launch dates and so on and so forth so we're gonna we plan to launch them later on in october so really excited about that and so yeah we have anyone who is interested in getting more information it's honestly it's just a, a page on our website and you just input your email and then you'll get information when things drop so yeah very very excited about it yeah it's um Can you share a little bit more about what what it is like it's yeah so it's uh, it's going to be a five to seven day retreat that's going to be sea based. We're going to be spending time on a yacht. Yeah, five days. <laughs> um, it's a gullet yacht. We've actually tried the experience, which was one of the things we went to do in Turkey this year. Okay. Um, and we're, we're bringing together um, entrepreneurs. So whether they're you know creative people in the creative sector or people who just want to get better at create creating content for their business mm. or bringing people together, uh, you know, for a couple of days, we're going to be having seminars, workshops, exercises, um, case studies, and all of that good stuff we're going to be sharing during the day. So yeah, some work, but lots of play as well. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of good food. Amazing food. Oh, yeah. Our onboard chef is incredible. He That's is absolutely phenomenal. And so lots of food and wine experiences. And yeah, and even for those that, of course, don't drink alcohol, there's plenty to drink and try. And yeah, it's just, it's going to be an incredible uh, immersion into food culture in the Southwest. <laughs> Do you have an idea what time frame, maybe not dates yet, but what time frame? Um, yeah. So we're actually looking at two different retreats, so two different dates, so one in June and then the other one being in um, the end of September, beginning of October. We just haven't nailed okay. everything down yet. So Great. So I'll put that in the show notes so that people can sign up to uh, get additional information and be the first to know when that comes out. Like, I, that sounds like something I should be signing up for. So, and I love Turkey. So, oh um, yes, I think you would love it. <laughs> I haven't been. I haven't been south. So, like, I'm looking forward to every time I've tried to go. Like, I've tried to go to um, was it Bodrum? I think. Bodrum, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where we would be deporting from. This Bodrum. 
Yeah, and something came up and I just didn't do that. So this could be my second chance <laughs> at going far. Now that sounds awesome. Okay, is there anything else that's coming up in the pipeline for you guys that you'd like to share? Or maybe where people can find you online, social media? Yeah, we have, I mean, we have lots of different speaking appearances coming up and some events. Um, doing an event this upcoming Tuesday, but I'm... You know, that, that one is just going to be for um, Women in Travel CIC. It was, an, it was an organization that I work with that is to promote employability and uh, career growth for women that are seeking to work in the travel sector or ones that already work in the travel sector, travel and tourism. So that, you know, within the hospital, say hospitality community. So really excited about that. And that one is about how to better network and get opportunities mm-hmm at a world travel market, which is one of the biggest industry conferences in London. So it's called WTM London and, and it's massive. It's like over 51,000 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. That footfall and like 5,000 exhibitors and it's three days of kind of back to back meetings and evening events. And it's a bit of a whirlwind. So we'll be doing a session of how to prep for that and effectively make use of your time and then all the follow-up stuff. So it's a great one for those that are working in the hospitality sector that, you know, want, or ones that are just trying to create more content and get more brand relationships that want to kind of step into that world. So yeah, have that coming up and um, speaking at Women in Travel Summit, which is in Riga, Latvia. So that's going to have like... Latvia. I know, Latvia. I know this <laughs> yeah. We really go all over the world. It's it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's exciting. Really, really exciting. So that's gonna be a great one. A great um event to attend as well. So it's gonna attract women from all over the world that are working in again, you know, travel, tourism, hospitality industries as well. So cool. Yeah. Cool. The best, follow, the best place to follow all our um speaking engagements or to, to get updates on um, events that we might be hosting is to follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Yeah. And both handles are at Dip Your Toes In. At Dip Your Toes In. Great. Okie doke. All right. We'll wrap up now very quickly with the rapid fire segment. And this, these questions are for both of you, right? So we'll take turns answering. Uh, let's go. Dine in or take out? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dine in for both of you. Yeah. Okay. Um, who's the morning person? Who's the night person? Oh, that's easy. That's so easy. I'm morning I'm all night. day. Oh yeah. Um, and then Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's actually. I also wanted to ask you if there's if there are topics that you think you won't you won't touch on Twitter. I know you guys do a lot of commentary on different sets of stuff. Um, but are there topics that you you sort of keep away from intentionally? Um, yeah, yes. So religion, politics, okay. yeah, the obvious ones that are very divisive. Right. Know, we already live in a very polarizing world, and social media is a very polarizing place. So we try to stay away from those topics. That right. People have very strong opinions on. This doesn't mean that if we're passionate about you know things like. Things that we're passionate about, like you know, environmental conservation, sustainability, right. you know, and all those things, we will talk about those things. And, and we'll join in conversation. We'll join in right. But we, we 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 try not to we try not to be polarizing with our with our content. Right. Yeah, it's difficult sometimes because sometimes we do feel quite passionately about certain subjects, but um, in the end, we just have to we have to say like. You know, what type of conversations are we looking to encourage? Right. Is, it, is it more of an emotional response? Right, you know, yeah. Less, less of, you know, really adding to the narrative, so. That makes sense. Okay, and then what are your biggest pet peeves? One, when it comes to traveling and two, dining. Oh, goodness. Okay, one of my biggest pet peeves are people that do crazy things on planes, <laughs> like with their feet. So that walk with their socks off or walk to the bathroom, like the, you know, go to the toilet, to the loo with no shoes on. Oh it, my God. So Who does me. that? They do it and they do it all the time. Yes. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, pet peeve, I guess from a, from a food perspective, um, I, I, I do not like when restaurants try to play a fast one with their drinks. <laughs> They overpriced the drinks. And then put ice. Ice. I I, I hate those. I hate those. Okay. I know know the margins are are thin when it comes to business. But, you know, deliberately stiffing your customers for drinks. Yeah. You should take one sip and then the drink is done. Right. It's not cool. Um, and then my last question for you is um, for both of you. Um, what's your favorite African restaurant anywhere in the world? Anywhere in the world. Wow. Oh, that's uh, a different. That's a difficult one. That's a tough one. But you know what? I could say one of my favorites is Knock by Alara. In, oh yeah, in, in Lagos. Lagos. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. It's really excellent. Yeah. Everything I've had there yeah. has been. Top notch. Yep. I make it up. I go there every time I go to Lagos. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, met, I met the chef last year when I went to Lagos. Yeah, you did. Yeah. It's, uh, it's from Togo or Benin Republic. Um, oh, interesting. Because I know, I think uh, Chef Pierre was the one who kicked off, like, I guess their inaugural menu. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chef, chef Pierre kicked off the menu, designed it, and then I think this chap now works yeah. um, for either for Chef Pierre is now the, the lead chef. Yeah. Good stuff. Well this is this was great. Uh, I knew it would be great because you guys are really awesome at what you do. Um, I learned a few new things as well and um, I'm trying to do a lot more of these, adding more people in the community that may not necessarily work with food, but, you know, the work that you do helps elevate what other people are doing in the space. So I appreciate you taking the time. Um, and, yeah, people should look for you. I'm excited for the Turkey trip. I think I will be joining Fingers Crossed. Um, but thank you. It's a pleasure to chat with both of you, Yolanda and Emma. Oh, thanks Likewise. so much for having us. Seriously, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item 13 Podcast. Thank you.